When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Light the fuse. Well, this is not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. Difficult should be a walk in the park for you. Uh, it's all got to do with the rabbit's foot. Please don't make me go through you. Sir, Hunt is the living manifestation of destiny, and he has made you his mission. Kittredge, you've never seen me very upset. And you really think we can do this? We're going to do it. Welcome to Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. Once again, it is Drew Taylor joined by Charles Hood. Charles, how you feeling tonight? I feel great, Drew. How are you? It was a very dramatic introduction there. You took your time with it. I wanted to really bring the drama, you know? <laughs> like, these films bring the drama. Our podcast has to bring that same drama. You know what I mean? Yeah, we got to bring it, of course, every week. We have to bring it. Every week. I mean, we can't hang off of a helicopter or do any of the things that Tom Cruise has done. No. This is the way that we bring that energy. That, that fun. <laughs> we just try to speak as dramatically as possible. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, but we are so excited because this week we are joined. Well, let me just say, there's been an outcry, Charles. The people want us to talk about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Yes, it's true. You know, we've had a lot of people reach out and ask us for our thoughts. They want us to talk about it on the show. What, what we think of the movie. We haven't had done. We haven't done that yet. Well, we haven't yet, but we're doing it today. Yes. We thought no better way to do it than to bring our favorite critic back on the show. Bilga Abiri, who we had on our show a couple of years ago. We had him back to talk. We loved his review of, of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One, which is now playing exclusively still in theaters. Uh, so you should check it out, of course, if you haven't, before you hear this, because we are going to get into some major spoilers. Uh, this is going to be a two-part uh, episode. We're going to get into into this. and it, We're going to go deep with Bilga on this. And just want to make sure that you know that there are major spoiler warnings of things that we discuss. That's right. And we couldn't think of a better person to do it with. Bilga is so thoughtful and he loves these movies. He is the chief. He said he's not the chief film critic, but he is a film critic for Vulture and New York Magazine. Yes. Uh, so we'll be sure to link out to his review in the show notes. Lo- love love all of his writing. I've always been such a big fan of his. This has been such a thrill to get to know him through the show. You've known him for years. Yes. I've just gotten to know him more recently from the show. I've always like responded to his tweets and t- he's had these amazing reviews of Terrence Malick movies and things that I've had, you know, my tastes align with him in a lot of ways where I just I love his writing and so much of what he says. He puts into words things that I that are, you know, way smarter <laughs> than anything I could ever come up with. So it's amazing to have him come on here and articulate why Dead Reckoning Part 1 is so great. 
Uh, and, and also, another thing that's special about this episode is we get our updated rankings of the Mission Impossible movies. We reveal them in this episode. People were at, people were just bothering us this weekend about it. So yes. we can say now, here it is. Here it Listen is. Listen to this episode. Yes. And we're still aligned. Bilga, when he came on our show a couple years ago, we were aligned with him. Our rankings happened to be the same as his. We were so, it was like amazing. Of course, of course, we're going to be perfectly aligned with Bilga. He's the best. Actually, you know, it's more, I, I'm happy that we're aligned with him because I think he is really just the most amazing critic. I love his his writing so much. Yes. But uh, I, I want to say also, but it can't be stressed enough that it's hard to say how I feel about Dead Reckoning Part 1 since it's only Part 1. Like, I really feel like it's going to, when we see part, there's still so much to be, for us to find out from part two. Like, I assume there's so many things that are unresolved that are going to be picked up in part two. We're going to find out things and that's going to maybe, it could make, make, make us, make me like part one more, I guess is what I'm wondering. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's a great, I think that's a great observation and a great possibility. Also, you know, we haven't seen it as many times as we've seen the other movies. We watch the other movies again yes. and again and again for the show and for prep and for all this stuff. So what are you up to now? How many times have you seen it? I think I've only seen it four times. Oh, only four. <laughs> yeah. What about yourself? I think I'm up to five now. Yeah, I think I'm up to five. You're running laps around me, but oh, I think you saw yeah. it once more in theaters than me. And I think you saw it. I think I've only I've only seen it in theaters so far. Oh, okay. Yeah. I have watched it at home. I will say that. Yes, um, but it's not it's not available for people at home. But you, we've no, we've got something we're cooking up. We're working on something special. Yeah. that we're gonna do, and so we we are given special early access, which which you know, it's just this little you know tease of something fun that we're gonna these do that's are, coming up. These are the perks of the business, <laughs> baby. But it's for work. We got something special we're it's, working it's on true. for everybody. You it's know, true. this is it's true. This is uh yeah, let's just say that let's just tease it with that. That uh yeah, okay. we're 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 working on something at home, just the two of us here with the mission the new Mission Impossible movie. Yes, absolutely. Um and to that end, actually we have a little bit of news, I believe, that you you wanna say something about this, Charles? Yes, I do actually. Uh yeah, uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One is gonna be available to buy on digital on October tenth. Very exciting. And uh, it will release on 4K, Ultra HD disc, Blu-ray, and DVD on October 31st. Halloween. That's a great gift. <laughs> when uh, And then when you buy the movie on digital, 4K, Ultra HD, and Blu-ray, you'll get over 30 minutes of bonus content that go inside the incredible stunts and breathtaking locations, as well as an audio commentary from director Christopher McQuarrie and editor Eddie Hamilton, two of our favorite people. That's amazing. So I just wanted to announce that for everybody so they know it's a big deal. Obviously, we're so excited. And uh, yeah, that's that's that. Should we uh, get into this interview? Let's get into it, baby. You're just going to drop that bombshell and then we're going to get right in? Okay, yeah, fine. I think so. Let's do it. Okay, here we go. We are so thrilled to be joined with the one, the only, the amazingly bearded. You look great, Bilga. I got to say that first, right off the bat. You guys look great, too. Maybe it's just because I haven't seen you in a while, but, you know. It has been a while, hasn't it? It has been a while. We are here with the film critic. Are you chief film critic? Are you just film critic? No, just film critic. I don't think we have chiefs. Okay, a lot of chiefs over there. For New York Magazine and Vulture, Mr. Pilgate Beery, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's so great to uh, to have you back. Oh, I'm, I'm very happy to be back. Uh, I've, I've 
been following your exploits <laughs> around the world, <laughs> for which you're apparently suffering dearly now. Uh, <laughs> um, we're okay. We're all right. We're going to make it. Yeah. Now, uh, are, are we allowed to mention to people that like we're actually recording this during a hurricane uh, on your end? Sure. I think sure. so. I yeah. mean, yeah. Okay. It's really coming down out there. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I was I was looking at some of the images earlier, and uh, it looked scary. And then I guess you had a, an earthquake too. Yep. Yeah, that was weird. I was texting with Charles at the time. Surprise! <laughs> so did you feel it? And uh, yeah, I think this is wonderful. I actually love the fact that you guys also hang out. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hang out mostly on this show, but you know, it's it it gives us a lot of time to spend together. That's for sure. Well, it's good. I, I like that. You know, I'm always happy when I when I. Like it's in New York, for example, when I go to screenings, I'll see, you know, David Sims and Griffin Newman of the Blank Check podcast and, and Marie Barty, um, you know, they'll be like sitting together at a, at a movie. And I'm like, it's nice to know that they like they, they still like each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't I wouldn't go that far. We'll see. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not let's not get ahead of ourselves. But we, we're here to talk about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 because we haven't really shared our thoughts about it. We've been so caught up in the whirlwind of the movie coming out and us flying around the globe. And we really wanted to talk with somebody who we love and who loved the movie. So you've seen it a few times. Where where are you netting out on this movie? Where am I netting out in terms of what I think of it? Or Yeah, of course. Well, I, I love it. Um I think when I first saw it, I even offered up my ranking, uh, which which still stands. I think, although I, I don't actually remember. It. <laughs> Let me see if I have the. Text I think I remember. I, I saw your tweet about it because it was your your ranking before this movie actually was identical to ours, right? And I I think it might still be even now after Dead Reckoning. Well, yeah, I mean, because it's like Mission Impossible One is still my favorite. Fallout is a close second. Yep. And then I think it's Ghost Protocol, then this, then Rogue Nation, then three, then two. Right? Did I, did I, I didn't miss yeah. No. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and you know, like, I mean, we've we, we've said this before. Uh, I mean, really, aside from two, which I appreciate more now, even though I still can't really say I like it. They're all good. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're all good, and it's like. And Dead Reckoning, I mean, I've seen, I've seen it twice. I haven't actually had a chance to see it that many times because it actually came during a time when I was just like super busy. I was too busy watching Oppenheimer over and over and over again. <laughs> um, but um, when I saw it again, I, I, you know, I appreciated it all over again and saw some of the things it was doing that that I thought were, you know, were, were quite smart for a film of this kind. And also like, you know, I've, I've talked to some people. I was just on another podcast, the Brightwall Dark Room podcast, uh, talking to a couple of people about um, talking to those folks about Fallout and this one, and then the first one as well. And and you know, one of them wasn't crazy about the, the about Dead Reckoning Part One, um, but it was interesting, kind of talking it through with her. And and you know, I, I found myself defending it, but that was fun. Like I like I, I actually I, I like disagreements because like we we so rarely have them now and. Sometimes we just like avoid disagreements and it's fun to talk to somebody who, you know, didn't like something you liked or liked something you didn't like, you know, um, but, uh, but it made me think about the movie more and think about the things about it that are different. And also the things about it that are, 
you know, th- that are endemic to this this particular movie that I thought was interesting because we, we see them all as kind of in a continuum, right? And yet they're all very different movies in a sense. Um, like each of them has its own vibe, uh, even though, you know, I just think of it as like the Mission Impossible series now. Yeah. And it's been going on for so long. Well, before we get into to this movie, we have to briefly pause because you have done something that we have not done, which is you have talked to John Woo recently. Oh, yes. You brought up Mission Impossible 2. So please tell us about that. Well, we we talked we talked very briefly about Mission Impossible 2, partly probably because I didn't want to like I, I mostly wanted to talk to him about the movies of his I liked. Um but he, you know, he 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 brings up Tom Cruise every now and then, but there was something he said, well, a couple of things. I mean, there are certain things that John Woo says about and the way he thinks about his films. And when you hear him talk about it, you realize how much Mission Impossible 2 owes to him. Um, but then he also said something very interesting. I, I mean, I'm sure he said it a million times. It's not like my interview was was fun, but he didn't say things in my interview that he'd never said before, you know. But there was one thing he said that really kind of struck me. He said, I always make my actors look great. Yes. Right. And th- there was that that, that you know, and he was talking actually about specifically about um Jean-Claude Van Damme, I believe, uh, because we were talking about Hard Target. But then he kind of said, I always make my actors look great. You know, John Travolta knew it. Tom Cruise knew it. Like, you know, it was it was kind of this. And in some ways, I, I wonder if maybe that's part of the problem with Mission Impossible, too, is that like. Like he looks too good. <laughs> it's just a little too con. Like, I mean, we've talked about that. We talked about this last night. It's like, He's a little too kind. It's a little too much. Like Commission Impossible movies kind of have to make him look a, a a little foolish in order to sort of work their magic, and and that's the one that sort of doesn't do that. But you know, but I think it's also you know John Woo's sensibility. But he also talked about how you know he he cares so much about the emotion that goes into his films and sort of the you know all these like questions of honor and things like that 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 like really animate him and have really animated his work you know, beginning in Hong Kong and that he really carried over to, to the U S and it's interesting because American film kind of doesn't have that. Like American film has a little bit of that, but I think that like that collision of sensibilities makes that movie in some ways a little awkward for me at the same time. Like after I talked to him, I really wanted to watch it again. I didn't get a chance to, um, cause, cause, when I when I revisited it before our last podcast that we did, I remember I was like, okay, I, I still don't like this movie, but like it's a little better. Like I, I I can understand it a little better now. So, you know, who knows? Maybe one day I'll I'll come to appreciate it. Um, <laughs> but you know, but Wu is great. I mean, he's a he's a lovely guy. He's still so energetic. He had just finished shooting one movie and was getting ready to shoot another one. I'm so happy that he's like making movies again. Um, and I think it's cool because. I mean, he, you know, he came to the U.S. and he made those American movies. Um, and then sort of sometime in the early 2000s, the action film style changed and it became a sort of much more gritty, handheld style of action filmmaking. And he, you know, he didn't want to do that. And he just kind of left. <laughs> he was just like, all right, I'm, I'm going to I'm out, you know. And he even said in my interview, he's like, he's like I can't even watch those movies. Um, and... <laughs> And you can see that, like you can see that happening in Mission Impossible Three a little bit, which which is a movie I like. But but like Mission Impossible Three definitely has that kind of look. It's the mid seventies. We got to go for the grit, you know. We got to go for the sort of 
shaky cam and the, you know, the um, lens flares and that kind of thing. Um, it does it well, I think. Um, but, you know, like the, the Wu style is kind of coming back, I think. And it'll be interesting to see what he does, you know, what his new movies are like. Yeah, I think he's actually get, getting to shoot the killer because it's a European production. Yeah. So he, he is making it right now. Yeah. We'll be back with more from Bill Gobiri after the break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. So tell us what what did strike you about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. What are those things that you kind of latched on to? Well, the, the thing that I find fascinating about it is, and, and a thing that I think is different about it, and again... I don't know if this is intentional. This this is just how I read it. My you know, this is how it has an effect on me. I feel like Dead Reckoning Part One really cares about its story in a way that the others didn't necessarily. And I've you know I've heard Macquarie and others talk about um, on, you know with with you guys about how they're like they were like always rewriting these things you know up until the end and like you know. Ironically enough, the kind of thing that John Woo also did, where he would like shoot a shoot a set piece without having a script, because he's like, yeah, we, you know, <laughs> the tea house is going to be closed. Let's just, let's go in and like, you know, shoot an action scene there, and then we'll figure out where it fits later. But like that idea of sort of always, you know, everything constantly being revised to sort of fit and work better and that sort of thing. Um, but I, I, I said this in my review of Fallout when I. Like when Fallout starts and they kind of lay out the whole thing with the syndicate and and John Lark and you know the, the other I can't remember the guy's name but that 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 scientist guy and all that and I remember being like I have no idea what's going on like I have no idea what's happening <laughs> and they're speaking so fast and there's like all these like code names and like faces you know popping up on the screen and i was like oh they don't want me to know what's happening like this is actually kind of a a wink wink and just like here's a here's a bunch of exposition you're gonna be fine we just need to get this out of the way <laughs> and also all to do it in a way i mean i think i, I referenced this in my review of fallout but it was kind of like um with stillman's love and friendship which opens with like these detailed character things I'm, I'm, I might have talked about this on the podcast. Yeah, I think, um, you, I think you did bring that up last time. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a constant reference point for me, but I love that because I, because I think that's a a filmmaker unafraid to sort of play with their audience in a way that kind of like 
what he's or what they're showing you on screen is different than the thing they want you to feel. And I think that's like filmmaking at a very high level and and a very confident style of filmmaking to to, to be able to do that. Like, I'm going to show you something. You're going to see something on the screen. You're going to say these things. But what I really want you to think is this other thing that we're not saying, which is this is too complicated, you know, um, this is too complicated and it's okay. And I, I feel like I'm actually in, in sure hands. Um, Dead Reckoning part one doesn't have that. Like Dead Reckoning part one, I feel like the story beats are a lot clearer and they like, I get the sense that they really do want us to know what's happening at any given moment in the film. Like they kind of want us to know the story arc in a way that I don't think like I don't think they wanted us to know and and um, fallout or ghost protocol. I, mean, I couldn't tell. I've seen ghost protocol like seven, eight times. I I could not tell you what's happened, what happens in that movie. Like I can tell you the scenes, right? But I can't tell you the plot. Um, like I don't remember the plot. Um, but Dead Reckoning, I feel like like does want us to know that, and partly I think it's because it's a part one and it's kind of it's working towards something more and it's working towards a payoff. So it kind of, I think, has to, has like it kind of has to have a bit more of a, of a kind of story skeleton. And it's also interesting because, like, I remember when I when I heard that they were splitting these movies into two, I remember thinking to myself like, why split them? You know, like it's just a bunch of stunts. <laughs> like it's just a bunch of awesome set pieces. Why split them into two? Why not just say, oh, this is one movie and that's another movie as opposed to like saying it's part one, part two. And then once I saw the movie, I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. There's, you know, there's a certain emotional resolution that hasn't happened yet and certain things that I think are going to be revealed and and maybe also certain characters who are going to come into more of a play in the second part. Um, And I actually appreciated that. I think some people were let down by that. Uh, like I talked to some people who were like, oh, Palm Clementiev was so great, but there's so little of her in it. And I and my response was, well, at the the very end, there's this whole bit about like, how, like well, they're like, well, you know, I've got a heartbeat. Like she's clearly alive and she's clearly turned. And to me, that says she's going to play a much bigger part in the second. I could be wrong, but I'm the like, I'm very excited to see what she does in the second movie now, you know? Yes. Who's to say, Bill? We certainly have no idea what part she'll play in the second movie and could not possibly say, but yeah. yes, I think that would be cool. Um, yeah, I mean, well, getting into the, like, even the um, the mission briefing is really interesting because it's more of an emotional mission briefing. Not only do we have a flashback to Ethan, but we also have a flashback to what Il- how Ilsa got the key. So it's a much different. It's not a map with things being laid out. Yeah. And I was wondering how how that worked or didn't work for you. Well, let's talk about Ilsa a little bit because Ilsa is this character who, you know, in these films over and over again is presented as both a total badass, obviously, like that she's Ilsa Faust, um, but she's also really vulnerable in each, each of these movies. Like, like as a character, and I don't mean like emotionally vulnerable, but like she's always kind of in trouble. Like there are always, always these people out to get her or she's like on the outs. There's this kind of like existential vulnerability to her situation because she's never, you know, she's, she's always kind of either out of alignment with whoever she's supposed to be aligned with, which makes her, I think, emotionally very interesting and also kind of puts her in this 
you know, a fascinating dynamic with Ethan Hunt, who is always kind of presented as that, right? I mean, all these movies, he's like, he's going rogue, you know, like it's always kind of the, the setup, but he's got, he's got his friends, he's got his team, like they're together. So you never get the sense that he's out there on him, on his own, totally vulnerable in a way that she's alone all the time. And which also then, which in some ways makes, you know, I guess we could talk about that, which makes her death that much sadder, I think. But also in a weird way, like I will say, like, I love this movie. I, I feel like such a like, like a stan when I say this, but I'm like, oh, I can't believe they killed Elsley Bowles. Is there any way they can bring her back? Because like there's something so unresolved in her death. But that's also, you know, that's also very sad. And then that I think I think I think that works. I mean, it works, but I would I would love it if like she magically came back. <laughs> What do you think about getting this back, this additional backstory for Ethan about losing someone and getting in trouble? And it's it's a pretty bold kind of departure. I don't know how you thought he got it to the IMF. Charles and I always sort of assumed he was in the military and he was kind of a clean cut guy. But I never I never wondered how he got into the IMF. Like okay. it, it, was, it was a thing that like I just never wondered about how he would have wound up there. But like that's not the kind of thing I, I tend to think about with these characters. Um, like with any character, it's just it's just not a thing. Like I, you know, having grown up like obsessed with Stanley Kubrick movies, his whole thing was like he didn't believe in backstory. He was just like, movie starts, that's where you are. What you find out about the character after frame one is what's important, and what happened before is not important. Like if it was important, I would have shown it to you. You know. Um, so I'm, that's the kind of thing I just never think about uh, unless a film like really wants me to think about. So I'd never thought of Ethan's backstory. You know, it was funny because there was like this, you know, he had a wife, <laughs> like, we, we, like we've met his wife and she's been a character in these movies. And she was like a big part of the emotional stakes of fallout. And now it's like, Oh, there's this other one <laughs> from way before who, by the way, be- because we just see her in glimpses. When I first saw her, I was like, Oh, that's Haley Atwell. Like, Oh, he knew her. And <laughs> she still looks great, you know, um, but like then I was like, oh, wait, that's somebody else. So like we we see so little of her and then, you know, it's like in the dark and shadowy. And um, and so I, I I was a little confused by that element. I don't I don't think the movie as it is needs it. Now, I am curious, you know, if if there's going to be more of that in part two, because there was so little bit of it, like I'd never, you know, the emotional stakes in these movies, I think, have always been done very well. But they haven't been like overpowering, overwhelming. Like we kind of get it, you know, right? And and what's interesting, I think with the entity, they've set up such a fascinating situation that within the context of Dead Reckoning Part One, I didn't I didn't need to have the Ethan backstory. Like I get it. I I, I get why I get why the entity <laughs> taking control of everything seems like a bad idea uh, and seems like something that Ethan would want to stop, right? And, you know, this additional bit about, you know, this woman that he loved and how he wound up in the IMF, you know, all that stuff that didn't necessarily make much of an impact on me other than make make me wonder, oh, is this going to come into play later? Because I, I feel like it must. Do we know that they were in love? 
could they have just been like working together? I mean, I don't, I mean, I, I don't know. You, you know, it's like sort of the question of like the romance of, you know, we talked to Rebecca Ferguson recently about the Ilsa Ethan romance and how much of that is a romance. How much of, is it a romance with Haley Atwell? How much of it was a romance with this woman from his past too? I don't know what, maybe where they were just working together. Yes. But so many people that he's worked with have died that like, why would this, <laughs> like, why not just, why not just cut back to a scene from the first one? Everybody was three of the women he was working with and the first one died. So it's like <laughs> true. And and Carrie Russell in three as well. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, it's not wouldn't be the first time it's happened. So obviously this held greater significance. For him. I mean, I don't know. Could have been a sister, I guess. I don't know. Mm. We'll be back with more from Bilga after the break. Rise and shine, football fans. Start your day the right way with Morning Footy, a podcast that covers every aspect of the global game. Headlines, match previews, analysis, interviews, culture, fashion, and plenty of banter. Join as we track the thrills and spills of Europe's biggest title races, the business end of the Champions League season, a summer packed with international competitions, MLS, NWSL, and much more. Subscribe to Morning Footy. It's it's always interesting to me how much the movies are are even now with with Christopher McQuarrie making Rogue Nation, Fallout, and Dead Reckoning Part One. Each of even his movies feel like they're their own thing. Like he has he's approached them, whether it's intentional or not. I I think I know it was from Rogue Nation to Fallout, and it was if it was intentional again with this one, it's like a completely different filmmaking approach to each one. I mean, each one looks totally different. The way he shot Dead Reckoning Part One is totally different. Yeah. It's a really extreme kind of approach the way he did it. I mean, there aren't a lot of wide shots between these group scenes and things. And he's like, there's a lot more energy in the camera movement. And, and it's, 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 you know, I know he's, he's, he's uh, we have, we have yet to get him back on the show to talk about it specifically, but uh, you know, he's trying to get more emotion in the frame. Mm-hmm. How, what was your reaction to the look of, of dead reckoning part one? That was something that I, I, I noticed more the second time around, um, because I, I talked to some folks who, who who were not crazy about about that switch, because Fallout is so elegant and so kind of composed and and beautiful and lyrical in so many ways, and um, whereas Dead Reckoning is so much more immediate, you know, more like tighter spaces, um, more claustrophobic in a sense, and that was something that like a couple of people pointed it out after I'd seen. It. I hadn't thought about it because I was just too wrapped up in the story, I guess, but. Um, I, I paid a little more attention to that the second time. I mean, again, I love Fallout. Fallout is, you know, a masterpiece for me. So, yeah, it's it's not the same style as Fallout. I think it it works fine for this, you know. So I wouldn't necessarily want him to kind of redo Fallout in that sense. I, I miss some of the lyricism of Fallout, but that's okay. I mean, it it kind of like one of them has to be the best one you know like one of them has to be a masterpiece it's okay um i do i did feel like uh the, the, i mean a, a reference i made uh elsewhere as well was i actually had kind of a and i don't i don't i know i've talked to you guys about indiana jones and the dial of destiny but i can't remember what you guys thought of it um uh we'll keep that offline okay. um <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
Well, no, but, no, but that was the thing with Dial of Destiny where, where I thought to myself, well, this is a very different film filmmaking style than Spielberg, but it totally worked for me. Like it worked in that. I mean, it, you know, Mangold has a, it's kind of a, a tougher, leaner, tighter director in that sense. And that worked. But I think it also jarred some people because it's like, well, it's an Indiana Jones movie. It should look like an Indiana Jones movie. And this one, you know, didn't as much. Um, I, I really like Dial of Destiny. I like Dead Reckoning more. But like, again, like that, that approach can work. And in fact, I mean, that's the thing about Dead Reckoning is that every set piece, every action set piece in Dead Reckoning to me felt like, felt like almost an attempt to outdo the previous iteration of a similar set piece. <laughs> and, right like mm-hmm. the, the the train scene was was like gonna outdo previous train scene right uh the, the you know the, driving around in a little car around, <laughs> around a european city was gonna outdo uh the previous you know like all that stuff it, it, i just felt like there was this very joyful attempt to just outdo all previous iterations of of a given uh a, you know, of a given type of set piece. Uh, and I appreciated that. It was kind of like somebody going for, you know, somebody going for a, a world record, you know? <laughs> I love also just like the, the tone is so different from Fallout. And to me, the look of this matches the tone of this, whereas the look mm. of Fallout matches the tone of Fallout. How did you feel about the tone of Dead Reckoning Part 1? Um, As far as tone is concerned, you know, I really appreciated all the sort of the... <laughs> the caper like quality of it you know the, the all the stuff in the in the airport and then afterwards in the you know the uh the police station in venice um yeah, like all that stuff i i thought was was done really well and and like was comically delightful and that is also one of the things that i really like about Haley atwell is that you know she's she's able to be very funny without hamming it up which i think is a really good quality for to have in a in a Tom Cruise companion and a Tom, you know, Tom Cruise movie companion, because, you know, there is something inherently comedic about what he does, but it's never comic, right? It's, there's never, it's never outright comedy, but it's always on the edge of just like ridiculousness. <laughs> um, and he's so good at maintaining that. Like he's so good at maintaining that, like, you know, that, that sense that like, you almost wonder if he if he means for this to be funny, and then you realize, oh, of course he does. That that little clip that I mean, I, I tweeted it. That little clip of him talking to you guys, him and Macquarie, and with the little like the 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 close up magic, the close up magic, yeah, yeah. the close up magic thing that he's doing. He's just getting you know like <laughs> more and more intense, right, <laughs> as he's doing it, and and there's like this little two or three second like moment in in your little exchange where you're just like you're not sure where this is going to go like is he just completely lose it you know because he's so intense he's so like at that moment he's like tom cruise fixed on the task at hand and it's 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 like scary it's funny it's ridiculous it's it's great it's wonderful but like he walks that he walks that tightrope so beautifully in all of these movies and you know he's found somebody like Macquarie who who like understands what he's doing and understands how to make that work beautifully. And I think Haley Atwell is actually like a great foil for these. Like she has this kind of bemused expression on her face, but she can kind of do it just as well. And like she's never like totally helpless, you know. But she's never like overconfident. She's she's great for that stuff. I mean, she's I I, I thought she was wonderful. Yeah. 
I was going to ask you about the additional cast members because it seems like everybody they chose really understood the assignment in a really great way. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's Shay and Tarzan or Isai. And I was just wondering, you know, what did you think about all the new characters? I, well, I mean, uh, <laughs> Shay is great. He should have been in these things from the very beginning. He's so perfect. <laughs> He's so perfect. I really hope he like joins the IMF in part two. Um, and and Tarzan is great. And it was it was it was it was fun seeing like a couple of folks from Maverick show up, you know, and and uh and where you're kind of like, oh, is this just like, you know, they were shooting both movies at once and Tom just needed some warm bodies, you know. Um but uh you know they they, they were great. Isai Morales, I thought was interesting because you know I've I've come to really appreciate um sean harris as as a villain sean harris right um Mm -hmm. uh as as a villain um in part because i've i've seen i've I've seen sean harris in other movies and have started to appreciate what a what a great actor he is like i was just i was just watching spencer the other day and he's so good in that and he's you know he has this really really sort of complex but incredibly menacing quality and he can just say like one word and send chills down your spine um you know before i never really particularly cared about the villains in these movies but but you know i mean aside from philip seymour hoffman but uh but sean harris I, I, in retrospect i realized was so good for for that type of role nisa morales yeah nisa morales has this like has an almost avuncular quality, like a very sort of unassuming quality, um, which I think, I, I know some people were kind of like turned off by that. Like they didn't find the villain in this movie as, you know, charismatic as previous movies. But I actually like that sort of almost like weirdly harmless, benign quality that he has was so much scarier because it also, you get the sense that he's not just, this is also why I wonder if like maybe the flashback wasn't such a great idea because you get the sense that the entity in in some ways is giving him this strength almost like he's a killer, but like, he's also kind of, you know, and we'll find out more presumably in part two, but like, you know, his exact relation to the entity feels somewhat unclear, but there is this sort of weird, like he's much more powerful than he seems quality to him which I think is really, really interesting and, and actually kind of scary. And, uh, you know, like I, I love that kind of avuncular, you know, nice guy, but you know, he'll also slip a dagger in your girlfriend kind of, kind of, kind of character. So I don't know. Isai Morales is a great actor and it's been kind of fun watching him get some nice parts recently. You know, he was also in, uh, Paul Schrader's master gardener, um, uh, Again, playing, you know, in a, he was like the Kittredge in that movie. <laughs> yeah, he was. <laughs> well, as a fan of the first one, did did Kittredge live up? Did his return live up to your expectations? Oh yeah, Kittredge was. I mean, and your interview with him was great, by the way. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, the, I mean, the 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 two two part right two yeah. part interview. yeah yeah. He was he was so fun to to listen to and and. You know, to hear him talk about, um, well, it's like I just, I just never thought about it. You know, like this child of Polish immigrants, you know, he had to learn English, right? Um, 
And, uh, and so I'm, you know, I'm, I have to learn English. Uh, so I actually, like, I realized, I think maybe that's something about like his clear diction that just really appeals to me because I sort of had that. I don't know if I still do, but I, like, I had that when I was a kid, I learned English when I was seven I came to the U S when I was seven. So like the sense of like, you kind of have to speak it more clearly than everybody else, than all the native speakers, because like, you can't afford to, to, to you know, you can't afford to like <laughs> drop your T's and your G's and roll your R's and stuff like that. Um, so I really related to that, but I also loved how that diction kind of finds its way into sort of this like, you know, bureaucratic pencil pusher <laughs> uh, kittredge. Uh, I thought that was, that was great. Anyway, it was a good, that was a, that was a really fun interview. Anybody who hasn't heard it yet should absolutely check it out. His shareholders are the American people. Yeah, he, that he loves that line. <laughs> it's a great line. Yeah, so great. Also, like, I mean, the thing I the thing I remember talking to somebody about after we saw uh, Dead Reckoning first time. I mean, we were all kind of like, "What are they doing?" Like, whoever did the makeup in this movie deserves like an Oscar because everybody looks amazing. I mean. We've had endless discourse about Tom Cruise doesn't look his age. And does Tom Cruise looks different in these movies than he does in, you know, footage of him at like the Academy Awards luncheon or whatever. So I, I'm, you know, there's, I mean, I'm sure, you know, people are always going, oh, there's their like post production work being done. But I'm also like, I'm just really impressed with the makeup work in, in these movies. The thing about Kittredge is like, <laughs> he hasn't aged a day. Um, but I think it's also because he was playing older than he was yeah. in part one. Like, I think he even says this, like he's playing like a middle-aged guy and he's a young actor at the time. It's like his big break. Um, and, uh, and you know, now he's, you know, kind of at the age Kittred probably would have been in that movie, you know? And he looks the same. Yeah, him and Elway's was so fun too in the movie. Oh, uh, yeah. Those two together. Elway's having the yeah. time of his life on the train. Man, it's so good the way he... uh yeah, the way he articulates some of his lines is so great. Where he's like, you know, for the greater good. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I love that. Yeah, Elways does seem like a... I mean, they're kind of from the same factory in a way, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. And we're back. Back. From a thrilling intellectual conversation. Yes. With Bill Gabriel. This is like if a spaceman came and started talking to a couple of cavemen. That's how I feel like the conversation <laughs> really is. And uh Yes. I hope you guys enjoyed it. But uh That's a great that's a great description. Yeah. <laughs> And, and, you know, in our show notes uh, on our website, lightthefusepodcast.com, we'll include uh, the close-up magic uh, social media clip that Bilgo references. In case you haven't seen it, that came out with our first, when we relaunched the show in our first episode, we we had a little video with Tom Cruise and Christopher McCory where he, he was talking about the close-up magic scene. And so we'll make sure to post that clip. If you haven't seen it, it's really great. And that's what Bilgo referenced in this uh, interview. Uh, and if you liked hearing Bilga's thoughts, uh, you know, we talked with him in detail about the first six Mission Impossible movies a couple years ago on the show. So, uh, yeah, check it out on our website, lightthefusepodcast.com. In the episode guide, you can find it. You can search 
and find his uh, his interview that we did with him and uh, listen to that amazing uh, episode we had with him back then or our many other episodes from our back catalog which are available on our website and on SoundCloud. And if you really like Bilga, you're in luck because he's coming back next week. Yes. And every Tuesday there is a new episode of Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, wherever you listen to your podcast. And Charles, if I could just take a moment here to encourage everyone to like, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast wherever you're listening to the podcast. And obviously follow us on social media at Light the Fuse Pod on Instagram and Twitter. We're still calling it Twitter. We refuse to call it X. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we have new episodes every week, so please come back. We've got some really great guests and some really great topics that we're going to be covering in the next few weeks. Yes. And, and of course, uh, you can always catch up on all the Mission Impossible movies on Paramount+. Plus. You can, and you can go see Dead Reckoning, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 in theaters right now. And obviously, as Charles told us earlier, on home video very soon. So I think that's it for us and we'll be back next week Light the Fuse the official Mission Impossible podcast is produced by Charles Hood that's me and Drew Taylor this episode was edited by Luke Burson with music by Kevin Blumenfeld original Mission Impossible themes by Lalo Schifrin this podcast is a production of Paramount Pictures all rights are reserved This message will self-destruct in five seconds.